This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID, the smart choice for MDL implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant and UL certified for all transaction modes. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Now celebrating our 90th anniversary. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. This week, we are talking about Anva's newest and greatest working group. Greatest because it's newest. Cyber Digital Fraud Working Group. And I am here with our working group chair, Owen McShane from New York, and our Anva project manager, Tom Foster, our law enforcement uh, manager at Anva. Gentlemen, both of you have been on before, so welcome back to the AnvaCast. Great to be Great. here. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us back. So, cyber digital fraud. It is a conversation happening in a lot of places. Let's take a moment to define the topic and why we need this working group. So, Owen, when we throw out the words cyber digital fraud, fraud is such a large umbrella. You've been chairs of previous working groups for us related to fraud. You've been a leader in our community related to fraud. Um, that phrase can be a lot of things. In this conversation, as it relates to AMVA and AMVA members, define cyber digital fraud for me. Sure. So right now, cyber digital fraud is part of identity theft as a packet. Um, Over the last few years in the post-COVID environment and COVID environment, we've seen a transition from paper paper documents to obtaining more electronic records and trying to obtain data electronically. We've seen a spike with DMVs being targeted for phishing attacks, spear phishing attacks, smishing attacks, and account takeovers where people try to impersonate DMVs to get data. We've also seen direct attacks using stolen credit cards to purchase records from different DMVs to obtain customers' PII. And right now we're seeing identity theft as still the number one consumer crime in the United States, according to the FTC and the, the volume has been growing. It's declined slightly in the year or two since COVID, but we're well above where we were in 2019. And it, it's impacting all age groups, especially some of our most vulnerable with seniors, um, getting their data and using that data for a variety of fraudulent purposes. So when we talk about how it's exploded post-COVID, even though it's gone maybe back down just a touch, but generally speaking, there's a clear line that you've seen pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. I'm assuming, Tom, maybe you've heard this from members, that that is the other side of the coin of how members were so agile, so flexible, to deploy so many online transactions, to allow people to do DMV business from anywhere and not necessarily have to come to the office. This is kind of the unintended consequences. That's absolutely right. Uh, During COVID, there there was a huge push to, agencies still had to provide uh, access to their customers, and but now without them being able to visit their offices, that was done in an online fashion. We, we shifted our, our focus to providing these services online. Well, that opened up the door for fraudsters in a lot of ways. A lot of things we didn't anticipate. Um, what we are trying to address here, for example, is a, is a phenomena that came with this, this type of internet access. 
PII is obtainable from the dark web and from various sources like that. Using that PII, we've got fraudsters that are, that are entering the DMV space online pretending to be somebody else because they're able to obtain enough PII to fool the system. They're able to answer challenge questions, for example. They get online, change addresses for those people, conduct all manner of, uh, of uh, uh, transactions, and then order duplicate IDs to the new address. And that's been a very uh, uh, common theme in a lot of states. And it's kind of moved from state to state where we see states uh, have this problem, implement a, a variety of solutions, and then it seems to pop up in another state. Uh, most recently, we heard from Colorado having this problem. They appeared on one of our monthly fraud calls and presented on this challenge that they're having, and they've done some amazing things to try and uh, 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 put a stop to that bleeding, and they did a great job uh, acting fast and really mitigated it well. So, Owen, you mentioned how this explosion post the pandemic. I'm excited that we're attacking it so quickly, right? It's a fairly new, relatively recent trend that we've seen quickly spread across our membership. At the same time, that makes it a little bit different than maybe some of Anvis traditional working groups where we get together, we've been working on something for a while, there's a clear consensus in terms of a best practice. Here, this is, it is emerging and changing so quickly What's been the working group's discussion around what this group can do to help all the other members when maybe we don't necessarily know enough yet on what is a best practice because it's relatively newer? So it's an interesting topic and it's constantly, constantly changing. And as we as a DMV adapts or make, make changes, the criminals who are trying to get this information are making those same changes. Um, I mentioned earlier we were seeing spear phishing or phishing attacks where people are sending blast emails to customers saying they need to revalidate their driver's license. And they're sending that out to one jurisdiction, redirecting the customers back to a website that looks like the state DMV site and asking them to enter PII to validate their real ID or whatever the purpose may be. When we've tracked some of these locations down and some of the servers hosting them, we'll find templates for five or six different states. So they'll focus on a state for a couple of weeks and then they'll move on to another state. We're also seeing new types of fraud worldwide um, where DMVs now have more responsibilities in taking a look at the IP addresses of how customers are approaching the DMV. What, what can they do to control that? And a lot of states have rolled out uh, geofencing to limit customers from certain ranges. So the bad guys reacted by using VPNs to make it appear yeah, that they're yeah, within in the state. state. Yeah. So the state's rolled out VPN detection devices. They've come out with devices that surpass that. So it's constant, constant change with this. And I think one of our most valuable tool, tools is sharing information between jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. And even within states, we've seen some states, the DMVs get hit and they make improvements at the DMVs, but there's other state agencies within that state that are also getting hit, Department of Labor's unemployment, using that information as well. So I think it's important that states also are sharing this internally and just sharing it with their neighboring jurisdictions. So once they've tightened up controls, 
if this group is making a lot of money from it, they're just going to move on to another jurisdiction. So you, you mentioned the sharing within the state. I'm curious if in your own experience that has started in, in New York at all, that you have any anecdotal stories or if that's something that's still on the radar to, to do more of within New York. We, we've started working with our, our other sister agencies and the cooperation's really starting to pay off. We have a statewide ITS organization that manages our interface. So they're able to share data about attacks or fraud that's occurring on some of the other websites. And we're using common tools or sharing tools to help address it. And if we get um, identify IP addresses that are malicious, we can share that with the other in-state agencies to block as well. And we're also looking at those IP addresses to make sure we're not blocking people who truly need access. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at the IP addresses. Is it, does it belong to a public library? Do we want to whitelist that? Does it belong to a community center where multiple people? Is it belonging to a senior center where seniors are, are accessing DMV systems? So when we find that, we make sure those are whitelisted so that we can continue to serve customers that way. So Tom, when I hear Owen kind of go through some of those steps, it sounds like as much as it's a new thing that members are reacting to, there may already be a set of low-hanging fruit that could be a, maybe not a full-blown best practice, but when I hear Owen talk about the idea of learning how to go and find where those servers are, and then how do you investigate where those servers are and go after that group, and what's the authority to go after a group with servers not in your jurisdiction? Has that conversation already started to come up in the community? Do you, is there widespread knowledge of being able to do those sort of things, or is that already something that's new that maybe New York and some other forward-leaning agencies are doing, but we can get out to the rest of the membership? You know, that's exactly what our goal is with this working group, is is we do have some states and jurisdictions that are uh, are very ahead of the game on this, and they're, le they're leading the way, states like New York. That are uh, that are being very proactive and trying to prevent the fraud from happening in the first place, and that's the that's one of the pieces of education that we want to get out to all jurisdictions. We think they can benefit from the lessons learned in in some of these these states. Uh, at the same time, we're trying to provide some tools that will help states to be reactive, um, because the fraud is going to occur, and when it does occur, what can what can the jurisdictions do to help? Uh, make the customer whole and stop the fraud from uh, uh, continuing and victimizing more people. So uh, both a proactive and a reactive response are going to be critical for the jurisdictions to be successful. And states like New York and the things that Owen has done, we want to we educate all our jurisdictions on, on steps that they can take ahead of time to, to be uh, ready for the fraud when it gets to them. Is there a general philosophy or approach in terms of your, your part about allowing agencies to help their customer that have been a victim of this fraud, making them whole? How much of that is an agency's burden to bear? I mean, obviously, the agency wants to make sure that they're not susceptible to fraud, that they're fighting the fraudulent activities. At the end of the day, though, it's an individual's responsibility to protect themselves from fraud, how, how much of a burden is that for the agency to bear to make somebody whole that's been a victim of, of this fraud? Part of it is education, and we get hundreds of calls per month from individuals who are claiming they're victims of identity theft, and they 
they were notified by their bank some of their personal data was leaked and one of the recommendations is to contact DMV. So when they contact us, one of the things that we do, we let them know what they should do as a victim of identity theft. If we don't see any fraudulent DMV activity, we're not gonna make changes to their license records, but we will direct them to some of the FTC sites that provides information, the credit reporting systems. If you contact one, notify them of a fraud activity, they will put a fraud alert through all, all three companies that manage that, mm -hmm. just to give them information. Do tell them to document it, get a police report if something bad happens, if something, someone got a phone in their name, registered a car in their name, registering a car suddenly becomes a DMV issue, so we deal with that, try to make sure that that customer is made whole, they're not being held accountable for tickets, and conduct an investigation on who actually used that car and where it went. Mm -hmm. So it really varies and it's very labor intensive, but it's also very politically charged. We have a lot of customers mm -hmm. will immediately start with the governor's office or legislators. So we get a lot of calls that, that way that have to be dealt with. I'll, I'll add to that saying that what I've, what I've observed from our jurisdiction members is the jurisdictions that have faced this problem where the, the PII has been stolen from the DMV they want to do everything they can to try and assist that customer because whether the DMV is responsible for it or not, they, they, they feel a, a need to help their customers, and we appreciate that, of course, very much. So they've done things such as we've heard some jurisdictions will allow people to have a reissued license with a new license number without fees, uh, so they're not charging them extra fees. It's not costing the customer any more than it may have already cost them by the use of their identity to obtain uh, bank accounts and things like that, uh, the DMV is definitely trying not to add to any burden that the customers have faced as a result. But correct me if I'm wrong, what we're learning is that someone stealing the PII from the DMV is rare. It's usually the fraudsters have somehow acquired a set of PII of an individual that allows them to then conduct fraudulent transactions with the DMV. Yeah, that's that's a better better way to put it. Uh, they they've got the PII, they get into the DMV system, and now they obtain a legitimate. I'm using that term very a loosely. A legitimate credential based on stolen PII. Based on, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so or it's, conduct a fraudulent vehicle transaction. Or I mean, it's not even though it begins with the identity information. The transactions then are the entire part of the DMV. It's not just on the driver licensing identity side of the DMV. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think we're seeing that more and more that there is using the stolen PII. They may be getting the replicate driver's license identity card, but there's a lot of fraudulent vehicle transactions that are happening based on that stolen identity. And so this idea that it's a stolen identity, identity theft, identity management conversation could be a little bit limiting and misleading because it's really the, the whole portfolio of DMV services. Are you Is that ringing true for you in New York, Owen? That's ringing true. And we had several jurisdictions at the meeting this week talking about it. And one of the common areas that they saw is as more and more jurisdictions relying on cashless tolling, um, speed enforcement, red light cameras, there's more of a demand for DMV license plates, transactions, registration documents, so that they're not being 
held accountable for the charges that they do, and they're putting that on someone else. So we've seen everything from inappropriately obtaining a registration in someone else's name to stealing a plate and putting it on your car. So it runs the whole gamut. We're also seeing a lot of spoof sites. When we talked about that, several jurisdictions encountered that where someone created a spoof site, they did blast emails, customers went to the websites and gave their personal information. So from a DMV perspective, you have to be prepared in case this happens to you. Who in your state do you contact? Is it your CISO? Is it your state police? Is it something internally to make that, shut that site down, get that site out of operation to stop any further customers from becoming victims? Mm -hmm. Because all DMVs rely on online services mm -hmm. and you don't want your customers to lose trust in that. So you have to have a plan on how you're going to deal with it and deal with it quickly. Yeah. Now, this challenge is not specific to our AMVA world. I'm sure there's all sorts of industries that are fighting this, this battle. How much has the working group or we as a community started to consider that there are these parallel industries fighting the same challenge we're having? And where might we bring them to the table and learn from each other? One of the discussions we had yesterday with the, with the working group was, was that very topic. Uh, we know that the banking industry uh, has dealt with this problem quite a bit, and so the idea was floated that maybe we should reach out to those guys. They've got some great expertise, and maybe they'd be willing to share with us. And so what you can expect from our working group moving forward is trying to engage some of those outside uh, entities as we, as we identify them and, uh, and trying to learn from them what their best practices have been uh, so that we can share that with the ANVA community. In the early discussions with the working group, any surprises, anybody bring anything um, in this conversation of cyber digital fraud that said, wow, that's a whole new element of this piece of the puzzle that we really hadn't considered as part of tackling this topic. Anything come to mind in the early conversations? You know, I'd like, yeah, I would say for sure. I, it was eye-opening to me uh, to find that there are some great solutions out there from our some of our associate members that we've been engaging with. Uh, when I first was looking into this topic and I had heard about the problem and we started floating the idea of a working group, initially I thought, Man, how do you, how do you get ahead of that? That's going to be a real challenge. Well, I start as I started peeling back the layers and learned that we've got associate members that have some really tremendous solutions for this. We've engaged those as partners and been listening to them. And there are things that states can do. Um, uh, and and so there there are solutions out there. We look forward to bringing those to the ANVA membership. And uh, it, it's not a hopeless case. It, just like Owen said, though. Uh, when we come up with one solution, the bad guys are having a meeting on the other side of town trying to figure out how to defeat that solution. So it's, a, it's definitely a, a learning process and an ongoing process and quite a fascinating challenge, really. Owen, oh, I know you've been around it and deeper in it than either Tom or I, so it might have taken more to surprise you or have something new in front of you. But anything that either was new or surprised you or at least surprised you to go, oh, I knew this was going on. I could appreciate now that I'm glad more people are seeing it. The biggest thing that surprised me was that most jurisdictions realized the value of online transactions. COVID's changed a lot of people's idea of what they want to go to sit in the DMV office and what they want to do online. Mm -hmm. 
So it's amazing how quickly some of the states who are aware of some of the vulnerabilities have already implemented programs to validate customers coming remotely, tracking IP addresses, doing trust factors on the front end, and doing other types of validation to make sure they're helping their customers and they're st seeing a steady rise in more online transactions securely and safely. So there are some options out there. I think it's important for jurisdictions to look at how they're doing business and how they could incorporate these safety features into that to give them a safe, secure product moving forward. It sounds like listening to the entire conversation, a lot of this comes down to what, what I would call, maybe a bad phrase, IT warfare, right? Because it's really about battling the bad actors in that online environment, which requires some of the things that you, know, you just mentioned, Owen, that are really technology investments to protect the business. Amva agencies, historically, it's been a challenge for them sometimes to get resources from the legislature to be able to keep their systems modernized and updated to be able to have these tools to do this. Uh, has the working group discussed, or maybe now they will because I'm just throwing it out there, the idea that what some of this is going to take is a fundamental philosophy shift on how you resource, manage, and use your IT resources. It's not, it's not just about modernizing a platform. It's not just about opening an online transaction, but it's about really leveraging your IT infrastructure to harden your, your security. So I'm just in this conversation, it's just resonating with me. I'm throwing it out there, seeing if there's any reaction. Does that resonate you know, with, with either one of you having talking to jurisdictions that are all over the spectrum in terms of their IT sophistication? So, so one of the things we saw talking to a lot of the jurisdictions is that they're realizing within the jurisdictions that it's not just a DMV issue. It's the Department of Labor, it's unemployment, it's health benefits, it's any other website where the public is interacting with the state and the ability to put security protocols on the front end to prevent uh, someone using a VPN to come in from another country to access data inappropriately or repetitive searches that could be done and secure the whole state system. And the tools, like we, we, when we typically talk about DMV projects, a lot of it's done by in-house or dedicated IT per personnel. A lot of this is outside entities that are providing the services mm -hmm. and they're putting it on the front end so that it's checking records before they touch your system. Similar to how you have a firewall this is an additional layer on the firewall to make sure that the data is secure. So I think we have some really good benefits for it, and I think states are looking into this and, and making some changes. And I think it's important just to share the successes so that states can be prepared to move in that direction as they're ready. So Tom, give us a sense now where the working group is gonna head, kind of the high-level project plan of how they'll continue to tackle this. Sure. Um, as we move forward, what we're doing today, uh, we are all gathered together in Phoenix and we are talking about uh, potential deliverables that we think will benefit the ANVA membership. Um, we, want, we want to provide the information out and then see where, what that's going to lead to. We're going to, um, as Owen indicated, we're going to continue to see this problem uh, evolving and we're going to continue to see the the bad guys adapting so 
we recognize very well that we can't simply put out a product that says, here's the cure for this problem. Now, we'll look at it again five years from now and then see how we're doing. This is something that we're going to probably have to nurture as time goes by. And uh, so we're, we're talking about solutions that are very effective today. Now, we're going to continue to look at those and see how they're evolving because are, they, are these same solutions going to be effective a year from now or two years from now? Uh, we want to adapt and be able to continue to uh, keep our, our recommendations to the jurisdictions updated as this problem evolves. And so that's, that's one of our, our broad uh, goals overarching. We can sit here today and say, here's the, here's the thing, we want to put this, our finger in this hole in the dike, mm -hmm. but we've got to be looking at the whole dike as, sure. as, as we move forward. Yeah. <laughs> I just had the image of, you know, you plug the one and all of a sudden the new, the new spurt happens <laughs> somewhere else. It's got a little game of whack-a-mole. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Great. I guess that's what fraud is. Yes. All right, well, gentlemen, uh, thanks so much. I think this is a really a great start to introduce our members to what we're tackling here. Reminder of the topic, to your point, Tom, ever emerging. I have a feeling the three of us are going to be checking in maybe more regularly than we do with some other working groups because it is an area where not only is it cross-cutting across the DMV or as Owen mentioned across all all the agencies, um, it's across all disciplines, all areas, all program subject matters. There is not a part of our community that's not being touched by this ever-growing challenge. And it is also probably, when I talk to members, to the degree that anything keeps people awake at night from work, which hopefully is not much, it's often these vulnerabilities, right? It's the vulnerability of being attacked, of being susceptible, of, you know, fraudulent documents on the street. Um, it is, you know, often that, that number one fear. So hopefully we can help allay the fears and at least give folks some more tools in the toolbox for this IT warfare and fraud battle that, that's underway. All right, so Tom, Owen, thanks again. Thank you all for listening this week. As always, thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.